It's been a year since the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus outbreak a pandemic. And that's when life began to change for most people, with countries one after the other enacting tight restrictions on citizens' movement and the operation of businesses. 2021 began with some much-needed good news as vaccines began being rolled out in countries around the world. But here in Brazil, immunization efforts have stalled due to a mix of government inaction and incompetence, while new coronavirus variants are popping up across the country. Brazil has become something of an open-air laboratory, showing how new variants can develop when left to spread unchecked. Most, if not all, states are inching closer to a health collapse, but far-right President Jair Bolsonaro continues to speak out against lockdowns and vaccines. For Brazil, the worst of the pandemic is yet to come. My name is Ewan Marshall, standing in for Editor-in-Chief Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. Almost a year ago, we saw horrific scenes coming from Brazil's Amazon region, with local governments digging mass graves in order to cope with the sheer number of deaths caused by the pandemic. Medical workers haven't given up hope, but there is no battle, no real war here. They're facing defeat. The virus ran amok in several regions, and some scientists suggested that major cities, such as Manaus, had already reached herd immunity because the coronavirus was simply running out of people to infect. With this newfound feeling of invincibility, Manaus opened up again as normal. But those herd immunity claims were false. Instead, what we saw was a surge of new, more transmissible coronavirus variants which can reinfect people who have already recovered from previous versions of COVID-19. More than ever, COVID-19 is making victims among young Brazilians and showing that no demographic is safe. In February, COVID-19 was the leading cause of death in Brazil by some distance. 30,000 people died of the disease last month. Cancer came in second place with 17,000. Santarém é uma cidade de 300 mil habitantes que fica no coração aqui da Amazônia, né? This is João Lima Assi, one of four infectious disease experts in Santarém, a city of 300,000 people in the heart of the Amazon. He spoke to Editor-in-Chief Gustavo Ribeiro last week about the state of the pandemic there. Santarém is halfway between Manaus and Belém, which are the two biggest cities in Brazil's northern region. Now, roads between these cities are few and far between, meaning that the leading method of transportation is by long boat trips. And as a result, Santarém became something of a hub for all of the cities in the west of Pará state. And here, we're talking about roughly one million people spread around an area the size of Italy, Portugal and England combined. And the city of Santarém deals with almost 99% of the healthcare demand in that entire region. Every single intensive care unit in Santarém belongs to the public network. It was one of the first places in Brazil to collapse under the strain of COVID-19 in 2020. After August, the region saw the pandemic slow down, which gave people a false sense of security. And social isolation, which was already rare, became completely non-existent. And now, in 2021, we're seeing a repeat of last year. But worse. João Assi told us that he and his colleagues have been working seven days a week for the past two months, and it's still not nearly enough to meet the demand. 
He criticised government-backed treatments with hydroxychloroquine, which are proven not to be effective but became state policy in Brazil. Now, Santarém actively engaged in prescribing hydroxychloroquine only to see its death rates reach 2 per 1,000 people, that is, double the national average. Experts say that vaccines are the only effective measure against the coronavirus and that rollouts should be accompanied by lockdown measures in order to immunise populations while avoiding the surge of new variants. Now, Brazil has a state-of-the-art vaccination system. It's capable of reaching 300 million people within the space of a year. And this infrastructure was set up in the 1970s and it became a worldwide benchmark. But now, with the coronavirus, just 4% of Brazilians have taken at least one coronavirus vaccine shot and only 1.3% have received both doses. Mauricio Savarese, you're a Brazil correspondent for the Associated Press and you've been covering the pandemic very closely. Tell us, why is vaccination so slow in Brazil compared to other countries? Well, there's a combination of factors. Uh, well, of course, the most obvious one is uh, the lack of effort in buying vaccines. And um, I can tell from my reporting experience last year that um, even the, the one company that, that struck a deal with the federal government, AstraZeneca, they were very worried about not getting that contract at all because they only found out that Brazil was buying those vaccines in a press conference that uh, Health Minister Eduardo Pazuello was giving. I, I actually mentioned to them, did you see that the minister just said he's going to buy our vaccines? And they, they started, wow, that's that's news for us because they spent weeks without answering emails, without contacts, and they thought the deal would be off. And, um, of course, that vaccine particularly is going to be uh, the federal government's main bet only uh, from April onward because uh, Brazil got to the end of the line. I mean, AstraZeneca had deals with other countries and because Brazil took so long, those shots arrive in Brazil much later than in other countries. Uh, there was also the situation with uh, with Pfizer. Uh, Brazil's federal government does not agree with a clause that they agreed upon uh, their deal with uh, with AstraZeneca, which is any legal issues be settled Outside Brazil, Pfizer offered 70 million doses, and and the Bolsonaro administration. I don't even I don't even think they said no. They just did not reply. They did not say anything. Uh, so that's one. That's the vaccine problem of of, of buying them. Uh, and the second one is because governors made a clear choice not to not only governors, governors and mayors made a choice not to attack the president directly for. For this, because um, the way that they chose to start their vaccine rollout was by age. So it isn't as if they could pick like a, a very big group that could fit into a one million category for vaccination and say, well, we're going to vaccinate on this, this and this day, this group from 90 years of age to 100. I don't know if there's too many people of that age in Brazil, but uh, I'm sure that when you, when you, when you split the way that the mayors and governors did, like on Monday, people of 99 get vaccinated. That's 100,000 people. And then on Tuesday, people of 98 get vaccinated. That's 150,000 people. So you don't see, it gives the impact, the impression that the, the rollout is moving, but it is a very slow rollout. And that is because there's not enough vaccines. And it's also because the governors and mayors chose not to confront the president by 
giving as many vaccines as they could and then having to say a week later, well, we're out of vaccines. And still, a lot of regions in Brazil did run out of vaccines. Yeah, and they will in the future as well because we don't, we just don't have enough. And that's because Brazil's, Brazil's rollout is not impacted by Brazil's capacity to, to distribute and vaccinate people. We, we have the technology for decades, uh, thanks to our healthcare public system, which has been under strain, but, but still manages to get the job done. Uh, it does it every year. Um, but it is, it is, it is a choice. It is a choice from the president not to buy vaccines, and it is a choice from the mayors not to have this this drought uh, evident sooner than that. And of course, one of the parts that uh, that comes from this is, is not only because Brazilians didn't do their part, Brazilian authorities didn't do their part. It's also because uh, China, where most of this uh, of these shots or or the, or the input needed to 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 make them comes from uh, has held a large sum of material in the recent weeks and of course there's there's a lot of discussion on why that is it could be just because they ran out it could be because they they have not vaccinated their own people as much it could be because Brazil's president has a troubled relationship with a, with a, with the Asian power it could be many reasons but it's also it's also a fact that uh, China not sending that material sooner is a hindrance, which just to just to make it clear, it's it, it's not necessarily China's fault. I mean, Brazil has has state of the art, as you mentioned earlier, institutions that could have produced either a Brazilian vaccine or could produce all, all the elements needed for a vaccine, like Fiocruz in Rio de Janeiro, which is a federal institution, or the Instituto Butantan in São Paulo. These two are the two producing. Uh, the vaccines we do have. So because, because Brazil can, cannot prepare the, the content of the shots itself here, it depends heavily on China. So that's where we are now. Now, I don't know if you agree, but it seems to me that Brazil is stuck in some sort of loop. I mean, we heard from João Lima C, who's one of the four infectious disease experts in the city of Santarém, and he described the situation as being a repeat of 2020, but even worse. So how come we haven't learned anything? There's many reasons. Uh, one of them that has been reported over and over is, is the influence of President Bolsonaro on, on his base. And his base is, is a large chunk of the Brazilian population. Uh, polls suggest it's about 30%, a little more or a little less, depending on how hardcore they are. But a lot of people follow his lead. And, and in, a, in a pandemic where social distancing matters so much, the fact that the Bolsonaro supporters held protests, opened their stores regardless of recommendations, ignored uh, advice to wear masks, all of that helped spread the virus. That's that's for sure. And that did not depend on how much information they got from from other countries before the pandemic hit, because it was, in their view, uh, a political decision to behave the way they did and also an economic decision to keep their doors open or to keep their activities. Um, that's for one part. For another part, there's just, there's just no other way because last year we had, we had government handouts that somewhat helped the poorest to survive and stay home. But that's, that's not enough. I mean, it was, it was about, uh, $300 if you, if you think of the, of the rate at the time. And, um, today it's, it's zero. So a lot of people are forced to go back to work because if, 
otherwise there's there's nothing and that uh helped last year not only for the economy not to sink further but for the president's popularity and i'm sure that a lot of people that got government handouts and saw the president's lead on the handling of the pandemic well they thought well this guy is paying me a handout that i desperately need so he must have the right perceptions about about how this pandemic goes so i'm going with his view so i, I think that also produced an impact which you won't see in many other countries, maybe in the U.S., maybe in Poland, but you're not going to see in many countries, regardless of how much information we had prior to the pandemic hitting. And and now uh, I think that um, what's different from uh, Brazil and other countries like um, China or, or Saudi Arabia, which have gotten good results uh, facing the pandemic, it's it's we have a culture that is just different. It's it's people are, are, are doors are outdoorsy. They think, uh, social contacts are more important than knowledge sometimes. And, um, I think that's, that's being portrayed now. And, and there's also a factor that I think is, is really important to, to mention now because there's, there's, there's a difference now between the first wave and the second wave. The first wave, well, it, it hit the rich first, but then it was brutal against the poorest because the rich, kind of understood how it went and they decided to protect themselves more. Now because of the variants, because of the time people have been going out, I mean, it's it's not only the poor that are being affected this time. The rich really are, and you can see that in the hospitalizations of the private clinics. And um this is a crisis that strikes everyone in a harsher way. Um so so we're seeing a different movement now uh, that uh, suggests that um not only there's more victims that are rich than in the previous uh, wave, but it also suggests that these people don't care that much, that there's been a sort of a lack of empathy that was that is bigger than it was in the past when the pandemic first hit. I don't know if that's your impression, but from from these hospital figures, that's the only perception I can get, that uh, they've been going up. Some private clinics that are really, really ex- exclusive have no intensive care unit beds and still I'm looking out my window now and there's a lot of people out. I live near Sao Paulo's main road, which is the uh, Paulista Avenue. And I'm, I, I see a lot of people coming out still. And this is this is a richer area of the city. So I, I think people are just fed up and I think they are they, they kind of decided that it's OK to to deal with so many deaths. After the break, the politics of the pandemic in Brazil. We'll be right back. As you know, The Brazilian Report is an independent news outlet that lives off subscriptions, so you can support our independence by choosing one of our plans for the best content about Brazil in English. And if you have already subscribed, then you can also buy us a coffee with a small donation starting at $4 and going up to whatever your budget and your heart allows, you can help us refill our coffee mugs to continue covering Brazil. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report. Buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report. We're back with Mauricio Savarezzi, Brazil correspondent for the Associated Press. 
Mauricio, in many countries, we've seen leaders using the pandemic as a pretext to enhance their powers and tighten their grip on institutions. On this show, we've looked at how leaders in places such as Venezuela, Nicaragua, and even in Paraguay have taken authoritarian measures using the pandemic as an excuse. Now, we know that President Jair Bolsonaro isn't exactly a massive fan of democracy, but he hasn't been using the pandemic to enhance his powers, impose martial law, or you know anything of the sort. In fact, what he's done is he's chosen not to do anything at all. So is that a bit of a paradox? Do you think? Yeah, that's a hard question. I think it has it has different it has different um, angles, and I'm, I'll try to cover with some things I've heard over the last year um, because we never wrote a story exclusively based on that idea that Bolsonaro could enhance his power. But we've seen hints here and there from from different people. Well, one of them is that um, Bolsonaro arrived in Brasilia as president without a, a steady, uh, consolidated political group, and that's why he he uh, relies so heavily on Brazil's armed forces to govern. There's there's a saying there: whenever you have a problem, just pick a general, and that's pretty much the Bolsonaro style. Uh, over the last uh, year or so. Yeah, and we don't have to look any further than what happened with Petrobras. I mean, kicking out a pro-market CEO and bringing in a retired army general to replace him. The army, especially because it's the most uh, prominent of the three of the three armed forces, they are reluctant to to have authoritarian views out of the public eye. And I heard that from one of the generals that worked for Bolsonaro. Uh, I cannot name him, but uh, but he, he mentioned that, it, that there's always a concern about uh, because of the dictatorship that they still call a revolution uh, in 1964, that they don't look too uh, aggressive and too authoritarian. Of course, they have their views and they feel they have been ignored for too long and they have been trampled on by some people, but um, especially the left. Uh, but they think that... Um, it would be just too much to to enhance the power of a president that they kicked out because of hierarchy problems in the 80s just because uh, he wants to, to, to aspire for more. So in that sense, at least according to this general I heard, it makes more sense to think that Bolsonaro was was held from doing that. That's, that's one point. The other point is that Brazil is much different from from these other countries because you have powerful opposition with uh with uh with not only with public support but you also have powerful opposition with with means for example Sao Paulo state government which is held by by João Doria an adversary of Bolsonaro's now because he was a friend before um he has he has an economy the size of Poland to handle and that's not that's not little of course, we can talk about courts, we can talk about Congress, but all these things are relative because you can appoint judges and you can appoint, uh, you can, you can work for a new speaker of the house just like President Bolsonaro has done. But it's different when you have to deal with the state governor and when you have to deal with an institution, uh, like the army that has a lot of different people and he wants desperately to keep them on, on his side. We published a story by Brasilia correspondent Deborah Alvarez on how many power brokers in Brazil fear that packing the administration with military men is part of a strategy to form a front to stay in power beyond the 2022 election, even if he loses at the vote. 
Well, one of the things that I think it's it's really relevant at this point, and not many people are covering. I, I have to say, I, I've struggled myself to 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 put my finger on how to report this. Is the role of police in the in the Bolsonaro administration? Because um, I'm not saying they are more important than the army, uh, because that's never been the case. And and the army does look down on policemen because they think they are less ethical, less. Uh, honest in many ways and, and involve them, so get, get involved with organized crime too often. Uh, but I think we have to keep an eye on how police behaves at this stage of the pandemic. And I say that because in the beginning, Sao Paulo governor João Doria tried to get the police to end gatherings and two police associations found their way to get some publicity for saying this is not the role of the police. This is the role of of uh, health authorities, and of course, when you have when you don't have that element, well, putting the police to 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 go after uh, those that are organizing parties, and you, you you lose a lot of impact in stopping a pandemic like this. There's going to be people who say the police did do did do that just because they wanted to to stay away from it and say, well, this is not our problem. If, if you look at the Sao Paulo Police Twitter timeline. It looks as if the coronavirus doesn't even exist, which is which is very shocking comparing to police in other places in the world. But others are saying that it's not only because the police doesn't want don't, don't want to get involved, it's also because there's a very strong base of support for President Bolsonaro and the police. He has attended several graduation ceremonies of policemen, including in Sao Paulo, and he, he has picked up that um a lot of policemen really dislike their governors and and we've seen police forces organizing against their state governments, which is the person they should, the highest authority in the state. And that is worrisome for the future because, well, if we, if, if Brazil can only get back to work after a strict lockdown and, uh, the governors are supposed to enforce those measures because the president said he will never do that, who is, who are the governors going to use for that? Are they going to use Health authorities again that has proven not to not to work. Do they have anyone else that could be helpful? I doubt there is. So so there's either going to be more pressure on the police to be more active and uh, to take a side, uh, or it's going to be uh, a very very long season of three thousand people dying a day. We at the Brazilian Report did cover that um, this uncertain role of the police under Bolsonaro. And one piece of data in that story was quite shocking because combined, Brazil's 27 state police forces have more troops than any army in Latin America. And you mentioned Congress earlier. Uh, there's not even the slightest suggestion that Congress is willing to provide any checks and balances on Bolsonaro. And there was a chance of launching a parliamentary hearings committee to investigate the government's mishandling of the pandemic. But Senate President Rodrigo Pacheco said that it would be, quote, counterproductive. Well, both of us co covered Congress for a while, and uh, if there's one thing that rings true to to every lawmaker, and I wouldn't say that's only for Brazil, is that they they do what they do based on polls and based on uh, what's happening in the following election. So for now, there's not uh, an evident sign that Bolsonaro's support is definitely shrinking. We can say that his base has been changed because there's fewer people of of higher income that support his government now because of his handling of the pandemic, more people who are dependent on government handouts uh, that have uh, approached his space. 
they are about to extend some part of that uh, government handout, at least until July, if I'm not mistaken. And, the, and, and, and leaders like the President of the Senate and the Speaker of the House, they just don't know how the population will interpret that, because at first, Bolsonaro didn't want to pay any uh, any handouts, and uh, Congress managed to get it through 600 highs uh, for for everyone that really needed, and that translated into popularity for the president. So now that they see that e- either they, they they extend the rollout or there's going to be uh, even more of a social chaos, I, I think they are in waiting mode just to see how much of an impact that does to the president's popularity. And if if it doesn't make any impact, and then they see uh, other elements weighing on the president's popularity, like inflation or a stalled economy or the worsening of the pandemic or any of these items, if they see the president's popularity going below 30%, for example, then a lot of people will start remaking their calculations and thinking, well, there's an election next year. Maybe an investigation on the president, one that I would look good on or be on TV a lot of the time. Maybe that's good for me. And uh, if they don't see that, if they don't see that, they will basically keep waiting and see by July of 2022 how likely it is for President Bolsonaro to get reelected. Then they will see how likely it is for him to the second round if, if not elected. Then if not uh, going to the second round, how much of a chance he has in the election at all. The, all of these are calculations that they make in Congress. And I don't think they're going to to take any decisive spe- steps, just like former president, former speaker Rodrigo Maia did, until it is very clear to them that the president's popularity is shrinking, that they have enough votes to start an investigation that produces meaningful results, because no one wants to have uh, a president that is going to be sitting in his office for another four years, giving trouble to them. In other words, they won't act until they smell blood. I mean, for many people, the degree of devastation the government has left during the coronavirus crisis would be enough for that to happen. And Brazil has registered 11 million coronavirus infections and over 265,000 deaths and counting. Mauricio, thanks for speaking to us, and I hope that you'll be back soon to give us some better news. Stay safe and keep up the good work. Now, if you like Explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars, and that'll help more people to find out about this show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast. Now, we offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.